Welcome to the fifth season of Better News, a series of special podcasts It's All Journalism is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by the American Press Institute and the Knight Lenfest Local News Transformation Fund. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research the American Press Institute has published as part of its Better News initiative. If you want more information about the initiative, visit betternews.org. Today, I'm joined by Kamaria Roberts, the Deputy Director of Local News Transformation at the American Press Institute. Kamaria, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Michael. Yes, it's so great to be back. I look forward to the yearly podcast top 10 episodes every year. Me too. It's nice to go back and look at them and to see what sort of themes come out of them. Let me ask you, what kind of stood out for you for the American Press Institute over the last year? Yeah, so we have the honor and privilege of working with so many really, really hyper-focused and passionate journalists who are in their local communities every day trying to ensure that their organizations are growing trust and meeting people where they are and, you know, getting news that is really essential to the lives of people to them every day. And so some of the things that have been, you know, reoccurring themes throughout the 2023 have been, you know, newsrooms really wanting to grow trust in their communities and to create partnerships. And so we've seen a lot of that. We've had a lot of awesome conversations and case studies on the Better News site to provide others who want to do the same, you know, resources and ideas and templates for how they can go about doing the same thing. You know, a lot of these journalists are working to make sure that traditionally marginalized communities are being heard and being served. And now that we're in a place a little bit post-pandemic where we are able to now go back out and engage with people in person, a lot of journalists are making it a priority to mobilize themselves into the community and show up in person and kind of remind people how they are different from, you know, the national media or the coverage that people may have had in the past and to kind of really reestablish what their organization and what themselves as journalists are up to. As a working local journalist, I can't tell you how many times I've been out, you know, I introduced myself as a reporter and the reaction I get is all over the board. Mostly though, why are you here? Or, oh, you're here. <laughs> so, but the more we can do to, you know, engage with our audience, get them to understand what we're doing, but at the same time, listening to them so much the better. So what we're going to do today is kind of what we did last year is we'll play a clip. We'll talk a little bit and then we'll play another clip. So first off, Eric Larson, the executive editor of the Colorado and discusses their partnership with Colorado State University Center for Public Deliberation. He talks here about events where the audience can deliberate on a topic of local interest. Invariably, people have come out of those with a good experience, you know, a good experience with a journalist, you know, which is always, you know, good these days. Maybe better understanding of some thoughts that might challenge them from their peers. You know, we're building that little community around civic deliberation that hopefully, you know, when they're involved, yeah, in that city council meeting or whatnot, they're armed with a few more tools to be, you know, active and and valuable participants. I actually really like this episode and talking to him. What I particularly liked about it is that they started from a place of something's not working, that they wanted to engage the audience and get a dialogue going on. And, and this is kind of the, 
the way they did that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so this is just so smart in my opinion. And that was just a great interview that you did with Eric. Thank you for that. I really like that they stopped doing something. They started from the problem of, okay, we have had staff reductions and with the limited folks we have now, we can't continue to do the opinion section the way that they had previously done it with their staff reductions. So they created something that was a lower level lift for them, but had way more payoff and way more impact in the community. And I just love the idea of the way that they reimagine the opinion section one. Number two, the dialogue that they encouraged their community to have was so civically engaging and it seems respectful. It seems like, you know, because people are in person, people were able to learn from the perspectives and the views of others. And I think that those type of conversations happening in person are just, the impact is tenfold because, you know, online there's a lot of misunderstanding or, you know, things that are just simply not communicated the way they are when you're sitting across from someone. So this was a really smart effort on the Coloradoans part. And for them to collaborate with local partners and the universities, I really think that they strengthened their reach and their resources. And one of the things that Eric did say in his Better News piece about this effort was that they wanted to land on something that felt sustainable and scalable so that they could either expand or contract the effort because they knew that they didn't want to overpromise with the staff cuts that they'd had. And I thought that that was just so smart because a lot of times we take on a new thing and we write it in stone and say, this is how it's going to go. But soon we realize, okay, this thing is too much effort or too much time or whatever the case may be. But with Colorado and conversations, they've partnered so smartly and they've made it, you know, a workflow where they're able to either pick up speed or to cut back as needed. Agreed. Our next piece of audio is uh, Greg Hedgepath, president and CEO of Substantial Media LLC. He talked about what inspired him and what he hoped his audience found inspiring in the Black-owned and operated online subscription-based platform that, that he founded. And the focus of that was amplifying positive stories within the Black community. One of the things that I wanted to do was figure out a way to tell the stories of those local heroes and sheroes, those people that were doing substantial things out in communities across North Carolina that, again, if someone else was reading this or seeing this information, they too felt as though that was obtainable. Again, this is another one where, you know, I don't want to say that they were feeling at something, but they recognized a problem and, you know, that was where they were focused. And then they were very much about engaging their audience and telling the good positive stories that were being overlooked in the community in the black population what are your thoughts yeah so i've had the pleasure of meeting greg down at the university of north carolina during their table stakes program that he participated in and what stood out to me about greg is that he's very transparent about the fact that he is not a big j journalist and in fact he never really did journalism his background was in marketing and it makes the mission of substantial media being audience centered and audience focused makes so much sense. Because when you think about it, the way that he's gone about making sure that there's sustainability for this business is really partnering and doing branded content and finding opportunities with these funders and with these partners who really, really, you know, meet the needs of his core audience and vice versa. He can connect these organizations and these brands 
to a very specific and niche audience that he identified. And one of the really, really smart things he said in his Better News piece was, you know, he went from attempting to serve all Black folks in North Carolina to specifically focusing on minority business owners and entrepreneurs. And I think that there's a lot to be learned from that because, you know, really being informed about who your core audience is will help you create the most impactful strategy overall. And so knowing that he's just been able to get his sales through the roof because he is able to talk to those brands and work with those big, you know, branded content projects because he knows exactly who's paying for his product. Yeah. And all of them are substantial. He, he uses the word substantial a lot, but that's part of the whole, you know, marketing approach to it. You know, often newsrooms, they don't think to take a marketing approach to things. But there are a lot of great lessons in this particular one about that interaction with your audience, identifying, you know, what their need is, as well as, you know, how you could bring that to them. And as you said, it was very smart that he didn't try to reach everybody, but he targeted his audience to the business community. Now, the next one we have here is, we didn't do this as a podcast, but it was one of the things that Better News did over over this last year, and it was about you know how the, the Montgomery advertiser is building trust and growing audiences in Alabama's rural communities. What can you tell me about that one? Yeah, this to me is just a true example of how news organizations with either racist histories or who have harmed certain communities can go and change and show people in the community that they have changed and really begin to do equitable and inclusive work, especially with marginalized communities that have been harmed by their coverage in the past. And so the Montgomery Advertiser, their strategy now is just to be super enterprise focused. And they have driven subscription so much by doing this. And one of the things that Hatley, the reporter featured in the Better News piece, has done is just continue to show up in the community and not just show up and ask questions, but to show up and talk about who she is as well. And I think that that's something that's missed a lot as journalists. When we go into communities, we make it our priority to get the story, to find the source, to report on the community. And when you show up as yourself and you tell people who you are and you build those connections, you can really learn to report for the community. And so one of the things that really helped to strengthen this project was beat mapping. And they used this strategy so smart to realize that their readers really wanted hyper-specific stories with actual people at the forefront. So for example, instead of covering an issue that's affecting a zip code or a town or a part of rural Alabama, they would tell the same story from the perspective of one person or one family. And the amount of subscriptions and readers and page views that they saw from that type of experimentation, they saw that people wanted to know very specific, very hyper-specific stories about individuals. And they wanted names and faces versus just hearing about their problems at large. And I thought that the way they used beat mapping was so smart. And the way that Hallie continued to go into this neighborhood and show up at churches and at town halls, and at sometimes even the prison to make these connections, it was just something that I think everyone could learn from. I haven't read this one, but I know that it means a lot. You know, if you say that you're going to, you're changing, if you say you want to know this community better, you better show up. It's just that simple. So our next one is a, a podcast that we did it was based on a panel discussion that Better News did 
three tips for building trust with rural communities. It's sort of a continuation on the thing you were just talking about. The clip I'm going to play now is a serenagum of the Border Belt Independent. Here she talks about the need of all journalists to rethink the way they cover crime news, as just one example, as a way to build trust in communities. And of course, you know, my organization, we don't we don't cover crime like that. We we cover crime trends. But I man, I just think if we could all like mesh together as a community of journalists and say, let's just not do that anymore. Let's free up our time to explore the issues that do lead to those higher crime rates, the the desperation, the poverty, the lack of education opportunities. I enjoyed putting this this podcast together based on the webinar that Better News had done. And this is a good example. And, and the reason I pulled this clip, this is a conversation we've had on a lot lately on our regular podcast, It's All Journalism. This idea of looking at the way things have been traditionally done by journalists and saying, why are we doing this? Why are we continuing to do this? And how is this negatively impacting? Because we're thinking we're doing something really you know, important or needed when in actuality, it's kind of counterproductive to the types of stories and the types of engagement you want to have with your community. How about you? What do you think? Yeah, that's right, Michael. I think that we're in a good point right now in time, and we always are. We should always be looking as journalists at the norms and the industry standards and the kind of the criteria that we've set for ourselves and questioning them because as we know, people are evolving and the times are changing. And as we don't choose to do so as an industry, we'll be behind. And one of the things that really was clear in this panel is that a lot of journalists go into these rural communities with the idea that, you know, rural communities for the most face the same type of issues across the nation or that the lay of the land is somewhat similar and there's lack of education, resources, et cetera. But one of the things that they really highlighted was the need to understand cultural norms and pitfalls in these local communities because they are so vastly diverse and they have such rich and various types of histories that make and shake the way people deal with the media or get their news or feel about reporters in these communities. So I really, really liked one of the things that Sarah and Les had wrote in their Better News piece just about accountability, but they say accountability is high because you'll probably see the subjects of your stories in the grocery store or at the ball field. And if you get something wrong, people have long memories. And that's just so true everywhere, but especially in these rural communities where, yeah, you're likely to run into one of the people that you've reported on or a source that you misquoted or any of those things. So I think that, you know, this is a follow-up to or it continues the conversation that Hadley had in her Better News piece of just really being sure to go into these communities and understanding who you're covering. And so a time before now, a lot of people will go into these communities and just cover what happened. So whether that's crime or, you know, schools not doing well or just the lack of resources, I think now journalists are realizing when you go into these rural communities, there's an importance of getting the bigger picture of why these things happen. What systematic and institutional things need to be challenged to help these folks? Because the folks in the community who live there, they know what's going on. But as a journalist, I think it's our job to do the deeper thinking and that deep dive into why is this happening still. Exactly right. You know, I can't add anything to that. So this next clip is with Fayetteville Observer Opinion Editor Myron Pitts. And he talks about the community partnerships that they have, like 
like mobile newsrooms, one-on-one meetings and audience roundtables. And this goes to what you were just saying about this engagement, you know, understanding your audience and going out there in the community. They need to see who you are. And, you know, one of the things he, he pointed out was when you do something like this, they recognize that you're making an effort because they probably heard a million times, you know, somebody telling them, oh yeah, we're going to take care of this. And, and they've not seen it done. So make yourself the person who goes out there and actually follows through. We are getting more African-American nominees and lots of votes for individual nominees. So we believe that is directly tied to the community seeing that our coverage is sincere. It is broader. We are trying to reach different groups of people. And we believe that's one one visible sign of that. I really, really love hearing from Beth and Myron whenever I get the chance to work with them. I recently had the opportunity, the Fayetteville Observer participated in our mobilizing news sprint for Table Stakes alumni, and they are just really ahead of the game when it comes to getting into the community and building those relationships. So the better news piece they wrote for us was six strategies for growing partnerships in the Black community. And I think that they just outlined some really thoughtful and meaningful ways of approaching communities. And so all of them involve listening. And I'll just quickly name the six. One, audience roundtables. Two, mobile newsrooms. Three, one-on-one meetings. Four, source audit. Five, meeting with the leaders of the Black community there. And six, recruiting and hiring. And I just love this because not only does it cover the internal effort of the newsroom with the source audit and looking, helping reporters identify who they're missing in their coverage and what kind of coverage they're missing. It brings in the audience, the people who are reading these stories, the people who are most engaged, which don't necessarily have to be Black people. And then it does talk about the community and the effort of actually making sure that the leaders and the influencers and the stakeholders who are the Black community have a say and have an understanding so that they are able to collaborate. So This was just a really, really smart engagement from the Fayetteville Observer, and they continue to do them. And so I would highly recommend this piece to any news organization who wants to do a better job of reaching any type of community, because these lessons can be applicable to so many different types of people. It doesn't have to be specific to Black communities. One of the things that I I like about this as a journalist, it's just a comment on what Better News is doing. The last two things that we've been talking about are around a number. Here are three tips. Here are six strategies. And, you know, Myron's conversation sort of touches on that. This is a roadmap. We're going to offer you, you know, steps that are going to help you address this problem and and improve the content that you're doing. And I know people appreciate it. And here we are, and we're into another (laughs) number, five things to know about Louisville Public Media's initiative to build trust in the Black community. This one was a conversation with Gabrielle Jones, who is the uh, vice president of content at Louisville Public Media. And she talks about LPN's new approach to covering the news for and with black audiences. The public media station as a public resource like, has a duty to be reparative of the harms that have been done to marginalized people in the past. And here in our community, when you look at like demographics of marginalized people, you know, Black Americans are definitely the the largest, most marginalized group in this particular community that has been devoid of service in this way for a long time. Again, this is another one where somebody is tackling a problem, realizing that, hey, in the past we we weren't so good at something, but we want to change, we want to do something better. What do you think? 
Yeah, they are so smart what they're doing over there at LPM. And I really think they have a public service mission and they have taken that and implied that to all of their work. And it's very inspiring to see them do it in this specific effort toward the Black community. So I know that they conducted a lot of research and to learn about these West End residents who they wanted to, you know, serve better. And so they talked to Black residents and they learned. And one of the learnings that they realized was that they needed to be better with their video production. <laughs> they realized this group of folks were way more likely to engage with them in video content. And so they took that learning and they created or they hired, you know, a local contractor and they created videos and they put them on social media and they covered local businesses and community gardens and academic enrichment programs. And, you know, they spent about $200, she said, per video, but they reached more than 36,000 viewers with an average of more than 12,000 through plays. And so this was just such a huge win on their part. And I think that what I really want others to take away from this is going in and making sure that you're really meeting those audiences where they are. So, you know, not only did they go in and talk to those Black residents about what they wanted to be covered, how did they want it covered? They went in and learned that, okay, we thought that events and newsletters and podcasts is where we should be focusing. And it turned out after a few conversations, probably more than a few, but as it turned out that it was video that they needed to focus on and the payoff was great. And so just by learning the audience and being willing to have, you know, a flexible plan and to change and to design do until you figure out the right thing, I think that's something that's so smart and so strategic. Yeah. And people don't always think about the NPR station, the PBS station as a as a resource for local news, but more and more communities as their weekly newspaper goes away and, and we have these deserts of news, uh, local news coverage, you'll see the local PBS station will pick up the, the load and begin to carry it and sort of transform and become the voice of the community. And here we are with another broadcast public um, media organization. And this one was about how WGCU expanded its audience in Florida by boosting its news and hurricane coverage. What was your takeaway from this one? This one, it just really shows what happens when a newsroom is willing to experiment and when you are prepared. And so WGCU, in their table stakes, part of their challenge was to become more essential and to become a vital and trusted digital news source to Southwest Florida. And one of the things they say in their Better News piece is that they consider Southwest Florida like ground zero for environmental and weather related you know, issues. And so because of Hurricane Ian and because of what they had been doing to kind of experiment and hire new people into their newsroom, when the hurricane hit in 2022, they already knew that they wanted to become a digital source for Southwest Florida, but they had already been making the, taking the necessary steps to get themselves ready. And so this tragedy ended up being an end for them to really, really serve their community. And they were able to continuously publish online and to connect people with essential news, literally life-saving information around the clock. And I think that 
you know, this newsroom and their better news piece, they highlighted a lot of things they tried. Some of them they didn't continue to do, for example, the Instagram reels, which worked for a while, but ended up being something that, you know, took too much time or wasn't worth the effort, but they're willing to go back to it. And so I think that the experimentation in this newsroom is just something that everyone could learn from because there was no one thing that they were really, really sure that they were going to continue doing, but, you know, they really looked at what's working. What does our audience need? What can we provide? What are the resources we have? And they just, you know, made the best out of every situation. And I mean, there is no situation where a hurricane is wanted, but given that they know what they know about their region and about Southwest Florida, they made it an effort to really engage with the audience. So they did WGCU Asks You, which was another idea they had where they really decided to ask people what kind of environmental questions or issues can we cover for you? They hired an environmental reporter. They asked the audience, what did they want to know about this local environment? And, you know, they received so many responses and many of them are being around the same issues, but this helped them understand, okay, what entices this local audience to engage with us? And so this has been another successful engagement on their part. And I'm just really proud to see a local news organization so willing to, you know, try things on almost every platform. And what's interesting is, you know, Sometimes, sadly, it takes an, an emergency situation like a hurricane, or this is also somewhat true of uh, what happened during the pandemic, is that, you know, newsrooms stepped up because they needed to figure out a way to provide much needed information to their audiences as quickly as possible. Okay, the next one is four ways, four ways the Fresno Bee and La Abeja serve and engage Latino audiences. Again, this is not one we did as a podcast. What can you tell me about this? So I really like what the Fresno Bee has done with La Abeja and their initiatives to serve Latino audiences. This area has a very large Latino community and a very, very diverse readership in this community. So I think that, you know, the ability of the Fresno Bee to collaborate with their sister papers, the Sacramento Bee and the Modesto Bee was really smart on their part because as we all know, you know, there's power in numbers. And so they've been able to work with their sister papers as well as Vida en el Valle, which is a a bilingual newspaper in the region. And they've really been able to provide information to this community by gaining the reader's trust and doing what another thing that we've been talking about in this interview is just being in the community. And so I think that this better news piece, it's a really, really good idea for anybody who wants to better connect with Latino audiences to read, because a lot of times what I hear from journalists who do want to connect with Latino audiences is they think that they need to get someone in their newsroom who speaks Spanish and who can write in Spanish and who will translate the English stories they have to Spanish. But what you learn from reading this Better News piece is that the story should be as diverse as the community that's being served. And this is an extremely diverse community, a lot of who are English speaking. And so it's not necessarily that this community wants English stories translated to Spanish. No, they want their stories being published. And so I think that it's amazing to learn about this community from their own perspectives. I think that, you know, they've done a great job of finding people in the community who can speak to all different types of audiences. So whether that's about business or about, you know, the rise of Mexican music or, you know, 
bankruptcy or farm workers. There are so many things that are very hyper-specific to these communities that only they know. And so using them as sources and making sure that the editors and that the reporters are culturally aware and are culturally reflecting the community, it's just so, it's so strong and it's so smart and it's something that everyone should be considering. Sadly, it's a lesson that newsrooms keep having to relearn, I see. Sometimes once it's happened and you look back and it's like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. Why wasn't I thinking about it that way? Obviously, you know, this audience was not necessarily interested in a story about another community. They, they want to see themselves, their culture reflected in, in the, uh, reporting and, and the B took an excellent approach to that. One of the other stories you wanted to talk about involved a, a table stakes alumni, a partnership between API and uh, news product Alliance. They challenged six newsrooms to each develop a product that addresses problems for their communities. Tell me about that. Yeah. So we at API this year have been focusing on sprints for the table stakes alumni. And the one that we did with in collaboration with news product Alliance was a product development sprint. And so, yes, there were six news organizations involved and each had the challenge of creating a news product to serve their audiences. And I mean, this was just one of the biggest learning opportunities for me this year as a professional, just because I am not from the product world. Our partners at News Product Alliance were just some really smart and news savvy people. And they really got me to thinking about how big or small a product can be for a news organization. It really just comes all down to how you want to serve your audience and what resources you can put towards it and how you can maintain it. And so this piece is understand the product life cycle, know what's Know that sunset is a verb and other news tips for maintaining your news product. And this is from the coaches who participated in this sprint, the coaches and the senior coach. And the headline, it really gets to the core of what this piece is, is that knowing that sunset is a verb and that at some point your product may have already served its purpose and it's time to sunset it. And I know that as journalists or as anybody who develops anything, it is easy to become emotionally attached to that. And I think that we spend so much time in ideation and development and maintenance that once it's time to let something go, it almost feels like, oh, well, was all of that a waste? And the answer is it wasn't. You know, sunsetting is a natural phase for almost every product. And that's not to say that it doesn't exist anymore, but there needs to be another iteration of it. And I think that product people have got that right. And as journalists, we have a lot to learn about that. This piece is just really great for anybody in journalism to read and really anybody in general, just because, like I said, there's so much to learn from people who are building and creating products every day. Yeah, excellent. And the last um, one we're going to talk about is the Tennessean. We've had a couple of people on the It's All Journalism podcast before this, and I think maybe we even had somebody from the Tennessean before in one of the Better News episodes. But this time they, you know, the, the Tennesseans in Nashville sought to be a leader of news information and commentary around the 2023 city mayoral and metro council election. Tell me about that. What was it they did? You know, what different approach did they have for covering an election? Yeah, this approach is so smart. And this is a great and timely piece for anyone to read. David Plazas is an amazing writer, and he really made this piece so actionable so that anybody can go in here and take something away from it. But the tendency, and they really sought to make it easy for their local community to understand who was running for what and what they stood for. And so 
you know, they did these candidate questionnaires that were brief, but extremely informative that they published and they sent them to all the candidates and, you know, they had to follow up with people and it took time, of course, to get everyone to fill out these questionnaires, but they created digital versions of them and put them on a landing page and it worked well, you know, 92% of the people who they sent this, this questionnaire to, they filled it out and they got thousands of page views and hundreds of new subscriptions from local people who were interested in what they were doing and who wanted to learn more so that they could be better civically engaged. And so this was just really smart. And then what they also did was they partnered, you know, they worked with local news channels to host live engagements with the candidates so that they were able to, you know, have debates and so that people were able to hear from the candidates. And so they met or held the debates in local places. They, you know, worked with local partners and they made sure to ask questions that their readers had. And last but not least, I just have to mention the scorecards that they created. They created a chart that they embedded in one of their columns that compared the candidates on like five different items, which I think was like neighborhood, occupation, political affiliation, elected office, and top three priorities so that people were able to easily look instead of going through every questionnaire and compare candidates. Yeah, the problem with local news sometimes is we're always thinking about local politics, you know, land use, all these other big things that most people aren't necessarily thinking about, except maybe around election time or or when, you know, there's like a street light going on down the street. So it's important to figure out a way how you can very easily help people to easily get all of this information that you know is important, that is important for them to help them make decisions. You know, it's part of our mission is we, we need to go out there and cover local politics. So that was our last discussion point. Tell me what's in the future for API. Yeah, in 2024, API is going to continue supporting local and community-based media organizations through research, programming, and our products. Um, I would highly encourage anyone to continue to check out betternews.org for the updates and the case studies and the lessons that we are sharing um, and we will continue to share. And I would also highly recommend anyone to sign up for API's Need to Know newsletter for industry news and announcements and more on API's offerings. Excellent. Kamaria, thanks for sharing the highlights of uh, 2023. I expect good things for better news and API in 2024. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much, Michael. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Better News, a co-production of the American Press Institute and It's All Journalism. API's Better News Initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News Initiative and this podcast at betternews.org.